to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Good morning. We've got some special stuff going on today, so I'm really glad you guys are all here. I'm going to let a few people stroll in, latecomers, people like me who don't like to come to church on time. It's actually kind of chilly out today, but I just thought I'd, since I'm only doing the opening to this talk, I'd be able to come outside and shake it up for you guys a little bit and give you an idea. This is actually my apartment. This is the view in the background. This is where I live. So yeah, but anyway, really excited about Revolution today and what we're doing and, and, and what's going to happen this, this this afternoon. I think it's going to be really awesome. This is part of my history, uh, part of the church's history, part of the Christian Christian history in America. Uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about today. A lot of you remember the AIDS epidemic in the when it hit in the 80s, and it was something that a lot of people didn't talk about. I don't think Ronald Reagan said the word AIDS until 86 or something like that. It was, it was, um, you know, people called it the gay plague. It was a horrific, horrific time for people in the gay community going through AIDS. And it was like getting a death sentence and talk about discrimination. And my parents were always close to folks, especially my mom in the LGBTQ community and started to see what was happening with AIDS around them and seeing people die and realized like, you know, it needed to be talked about. It needed to be covered. And obviously they had the largest church in America, largest television network in America to talk about this situation. And it had been a situation that either Christians ignored or used it in a way as a weaponized AIDS in a way to say that this was God's judgment on gay people. It was horrific. It was a horrific time. So my both of my parents, I think, had enough of hearing that kind of crap. And my mom decided that she wanted to find someone to talk to who had AIDS. Now, you would think if a Christian television network was going to find someone with AIDS, they'd want to find someone who is either, you know, ex-gay or someone who got it through a blood transfusion. But no, um, my folks decided to find an MCC pastor, an openly gay pastor who had AIDS. And this was a revolution in Christian television. This was something that wasn't done, something that went against every grain and principle and rule that churches had at the time. And my parents took a brave step to do something to destigmatize AIDS in 1985. So our guest today is Steve Peters. Now, Steve Peters is a survivor by any definition of the word. This man has lived through everything. But in 1985, Steve Peters was a MCC pastor, which is the first openly affirming gay denomination, was invited to come speak for my mom and to speak on television about his life as a gay pastor and with AIDS and what it was like and what he was going through and what he was experiencing. The interview was through a video. You know, my mom was talking to him on a television through a broadcast, satellite broadcast, and find out later that they did this because they were afraid that if he came to PTL, that the staff would not treat him well, that he would be discriminated against. And there was so much stigma about being gay and especially about having AIDS and people weren't sure how you got it or like if you could catch it, you know, through spit or hugs or things like that. I mean, it was just horrific. And my mom and dad wanted to have Steve out, but they were afraid of what, how the staff would treat him. But Steve, being a very brave man, said, yes, I'll do it. Now, now we have to look at this as why it's such a brave moment for Steve here as well. As he's coming on the number one Christian evangelical television network to say, I'm gay, I'm a pastor, and I have AIDS. Many gay churches were burnt down. Many people who were gay and lesbians were killed because they were gay and lesbians. And to be a gay pastor with AIDS at that time was something that not a lot of people would probably want to talk about or publish that that was them. And he was brave enough to go on one of the biggest television networks in the country and share his story. So there's just so much bravery in this story, so much 
it's a moment that at my age, I think of it as nine or 10 years old, it inspired me. I knew I was doing something that my parents, my mom and my dad and everybody was doing something different and uh, going against the rules. It was probably the most punk rock moment my folks ever had. And it kind of pushed me into a, a career of always pushing against the pricks, if you know what I mean. But Steve Peters is a survivor. He's a member of the Gay Man's Course in Los Angeles, California. He's an MCC pastor and so much more uh, than a diagnosis or even sexuality. And we're going to learn and hear from him today. I want to thank him for that. And also to let you guys know that Caleb is in Seattle watching and listening and he's going to be writing down all the questions you have because Steve's not going to be able to answer them, but he's going to make write, sure, write them all down and make sure Steve gets the questions so he can do your answer your questions for Facebook Live. So please welcome Pastor Steve to the Revolution Gathering as we share the next few moments together. Give him lots of love, lots of grace, and I'm so excited to have you, Steve. Um, I love you, man. You're an inspiration, and I hope we can work together more in the future. All right. Get ready, guys. Here it comes. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much, Jay, for that lovely introduction. And um, I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, to speak to your your congregation, your 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 people. And uh, I am so thrilled to be here. I mean, it really is coming full circle in many ways uh, from that time in 1985 when I went on uh, your mother's show to be interviewed by her on PTL. And um, wow, what a time that was. Uh, and it is just such a joy to still be here today. Uh, every new birthday is a triumph. Uh, and uh, I am so glad to have this opportunity to share with you. Um, you know, those 25 minutes with your mother, T Tammy Faye, uh, was one of the most remarkable times in my life, as well as in the life of your church and, and, uh, and, and the PTL network and in the life of your family. I continue to be amazed at how that that interview reverberates through the years. Um, you know, it happened, uh, I, I got a call from my friend, Reverend Ken South, who's actually listening today, who at the time was the executive director of AIDS Project Atlanta, or Aid Atlanta. And uh, he was a friend of mine for many years. Uh, we've been friends since the 70s. And, uh, and when your mom's producers were calling around to uh, find somebody that they could talk to uh, who had AIDS, a gay man with AIDS. Um, Ken very kindly passed my name on to them, and uh, they called. And they were originally going to fly me to Charlotte. Uh, they even sent me two tickets uh, so I could have somebody come with me because I was very weak at the time. Uh, I was doing an experimental chemotherapy, and and uh, and it had it done a lot of damage to my body, and it would do even more damage. Um, but um, anyway, they decided not to fly me out, but to do the first ever satellite hookup that PTL ever did, uh, and they were so excited about this uh, to have this uh, live satellite hookup. Um, and that was almost as exciting as, as what we were doing in, in talking about AIDS in a positive way. Um, so uh, anyway, we did those 25 minutes, and you know I could not see uh, Tammy Faye. Uh, she could see me on that TV uh, next to her, but I could not see her. I was in a dark studio uh, with just speaking to a little red light there. Uh, and, uh, and we had that interview and, um, in subsequent years, uh, when I became the director of AIDS ministry for the MCC denomination, uh, I traveled all over and everywhere I went, they wanted me to bring the video cassette of, 
of uh, the Tammy Faye Baker interview with Steve Peters. And um, I would play it. Uh, and, you know, it, it was so interesting. The, the, the reactions were uniformly the same around the, the world when I played it. First, there were giggles. You know, people started laughing when they saw Tammy Faye, and then they saw me on that TV set on a doily. Uh, and uh, they, um, they, they giggled at first. But then, as the interview went on, they became deeply moved. And some people cried, always cried. And then at the end, there was this spontaneous standing ovation. I mean, the respect for Tammy Faye was huge in doing that interview. Uh, and uh, how daring it was for her to do it. So I am frequently interviewed about that moment in my life. Um, and I'm even in a, a book, well, Tammy Faye is in a book, by noted historian Emily Suzanne Johnson. Uh, the book is This Is Our Message, a Women's Leadership in the New Christian Right. And there's a whole chapter on Tammy Faye. And uh, six pages of that chapter is an academic analysis of that interview that uh, I did with Tammy Faye in 1985. Just amazing. Just amazing. So uh, before we go any further, I, I'd like to uh, read some scripture um, because, uh, you know, this particular passage of scripture had great meaning for me as a person with AIDS. It continues to have great meaning for me all these years later. So if you will uh, um, listen prayerfully. This is from 2 Corinthians 4, the New International Version. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shame-filled ways. We do not use distortion, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given up to death, for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus, and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that more and more people, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, 
yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix on our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. May God bless the reading of this holy word. You know, I, I knew I was gay from way back, as far back as I can remember. I knew that I had, there was a special charge I felt when I looked at, at uh, Hercules movies or, or Superman, uh, that sort of thing. Um, I just knew there was something different going on. And um, I didn't realize quite how far back that went until I found a letter that my father wrote to his parents um, long after my father died. And in that letter, which was written about the time I was 18 months old, uh, well, first I should say my dad was the varsity wrestling coach and chairman of the math department at Phillips Academy Andover, this boys prep school in New England. So uh, in this letter, my dad, the wrestling coach, uh, wrote to his parents, Dear Mom and Dad, we're so excited because little Stevie said his first words today. We had the wrestling team down for dinner. And as soon as they started coming in through the door, Stevie sat up in his high chair and said just as clearly as could be, Boys! 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 Oh, boy. Well, they should have known, right? <laughs> anyway, um, I, uh, I grew up uh, feeling terribly ashamed of those feelings of those feelings. I had a lot of joy about it at that point when I was 18 months old uh, to see the wrestlers coming in through the door. But uh, as I grew older, uh, I learned to be ashamed of my feelings. Um, I learned to be ashamed from the ways that I heard adults talking about uh, boys who were effeminate. Um, and um, I remember for the first time being called a fairy for the first time when I was seven, when I was only seven. And I knew they didn't mean it kindly. Uh, they teased me about being a fairy. Uh, but I knew somehow they were right. So uh, I grew up with this shameful secret. I just had this huge secret that I could not tell anybody, and I was so ashamed of it, and I was so convinced that that uh, you know my parents would disown me. I would be left alone and bereft, and and if I ever came out, and I I was just tortured about being gay. But then I I I realized that I really had to get honest about being gay in the seventies, uh, when there was a lot of attention being paid to to gay people uh, as as we came roaring out of the closet uh, after Stonewall. And I came out during that time. And I came out by going to MCC. Uh, I was living in Chicago, and I went to Good Shepherd Parish MCC, where I met a lot of gay and lesbian people who were leading wonderfully happy, productive lives, who were in loving relationships. And I thought, that's what I want. So I stuck around, and, and it took uh, quite a while, but I learned to be proud of being gay. You know, this was in the, in the midst of the uh, fight against Tammy Faye Baker, who uh, not Tammy Faye Baker, I'm sorry. It was Anita Bryant that we had the fight with. Um, the gay and lesbian community was up in arms because Anita Bryant launched this campaign in the mid-'70s to take away the rights of gay people. Uh, and uh, so we fought her, and and it galvanized the LGBT community in a way that was powerful. Harvey Milk was uh, was my hero during at, at that time, and when he was assassinated, there was another moment that galvanized the LGBT community, and we came together and we marched and we demonstrated and we came out in droves. And uh, it was a great time to be gay. 
Uh, it was a lot of fun, and there was a lot of fight around the justice issues around being gay. But um, you know something? It came absolutely clear to me one Sunday at MCC that I was meant to go into the ministry. I had wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to be a famous Broadway legend. Uh, <laughs> but uh, God had a different plan for me. And, uh, and when I was at MCC one Sunday, I just realized, oh my God, I'm meant to be a minister. And you know, the doors kept flying open when I finally uh, decided that's the path for me. And uh, I went to McCormick Seminary and I got my degree, my Master's of Divinity. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, I became a pastor. I, I was the pastor of MCC Hartford. Uh, and uh, I, for three years, I... I, I struggled mightily to be the gay activist in town uh, as the pastor of the MCC. Um, and uh, I was one of the gay activists, but I, you know, I was in the media. I was uh, on TV. I spoke out about, about being gay and being proud about being gay. And, um, you know, during that time, too, I have to mention this, I, I met a bunch of fairies a bunch of radical fairies who taught me to be proud of being a fairy. And that continued to play a part in my life, as you will see. So um, anyway, in, in, uh, I was all burned out by uh, the summer of 1982. I, being a pastor of an MCC in the 70s in a, in a city the size of Hartford was extremely stressful. Um, and I... Uh, what I didn't realize was that I was starting to get sick with AIDS. I had the first symptoms in, 19, in early 1982, not long after the first reports were published. Um, and I went, I moved to Los Angeles, and uh, I had always wanted to live in L.A., and I had a bunch of friends who lived there. So um, I moved to L.A., where MCC was headquartered, interestingly. Um, and... Um, uh, I went to see a doctor who had a large gay practice, Dr. Joel Weissman, and he diagnosed me with uh, GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency, uh, which is what they were calling AIDS back then. And over the next couple of years, I got very sick. In 1982 and 83, I was sick with hepatitis, cytomegalovirus, pneumonia, mononucleosis, herpes, shingles, a variety of fungal infections. Uh, the fungal, I had a fungal infection on the bottom of my, my feet that, that uh, just bubbled away and caused extreme pain. I went to a number of different dermatologists, and, and one of them said, I haven't seen this fungal infection since I was uh, in uh, World War II, since I was a medic in World War II in the South Pacific. And this fungal infection is, is something that is associated with walking barefoot in sheep dung. Well, I had never walked barefoot in sheep dung, you know, but uh, somehow I'd gotten this strange tropical infection. And that bubbled away uh, until I, I finally found a dermatologist who was able to treat it. But then I was diagnosed with uh, take a deep breath, Steve. Okay, um, April 1984. I was diagnosed with a stage four lymphoma, Kaposi sarcoma, and full-blown AIDS, and I was given eight months to live. Well, my pastor, uh, Reverend Ken Martin, uh, who was the pastor of MCC in the Valley, where I was on staff, uh, when he heard that news, when we talked about it, he invited me to preach the Easter sermon two weeks after I was diagnosed as terminal. And I said, no, wait a minute. You mean me to, to, to preach uh, uh, Good Friday, don't you? I mean, I'm dying. And he said, no, 
you need to preach Easter. And indeed, it was one of the greatest gifts that anybody could have given me because uh, I had to take a look at what it meant to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as somebody who was facing a certain death from this horrible, stigmatized disease that everybody was so afraid of. Well, as I meditated and studied and thought on on the sermon, I came to realize, and this is what I preached on that Easter Sunday of 1984, that if God is greater than the death of Jesus on the cross, then God is greater than AIDS. The congregation gasped, like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> but uh, um, I said, yes, God is greater than AIDS. And you know, I may only have eight months left to live, but because God lives in Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, I can face death and I can still enjoy my friends, I can still laugh, I can still sing, I can still dance, even in the face of death. I can be fully alive. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ taught me. My doctor told me, you know, if we don't have any way to treat this right now, but your mission, should you choose to accept it, <laughs> is to stay alive long enough for us to find a way to manage the disease. And she said, you know, if one in a million people survive AIDS, why not believe that you're the one who will survive and act accordingly? So I set out to take it uh, to, to, you know, do everything I could to create the conditions for healing in my body. I think that we are co-creators with God. We are co-creators of our wellness. We are co-creators of our lives with God. And so I set out to co-create healing. I, I tried to do everything I could to nurture my body, to strengthen my body, uh, so that uh, it was ready for a medication whenever that might come about. Well, I outlived my prognosis of eight months, uh, in, and in 1985, the beginning of 85, my doctor, Dr. Alexandra Levine, invited me to be the first patient to go on the very first antiviral drug they ever tried against AIDS, a drug called Suramin. And uh, I, you know, I, I decided to do it. And so I was patient number one on that drug. And it was a chemotherapy, an experimental chemotherapy. And six weeks after they began that chemotherapy, my KS lesions completely disappeared. They did biopsies where the lesions had been. They did biopsies of my lymph glands and my bone marrow. And the stage four lymphoma and Kaposi's sarcoma were in complete remission. Praise be to God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for that healing. Thank you for the opportunity to have been there when they did it, when they found a way to treat my cancers and my AIDS. Unfortunately, uh, the drug proved to be extraordinarily toxic. After the initial success they had with me, they put 89 other people around the U.S. on, on Suramin. And um, it killed a number of the people who took it. And everybody else died from the progression of HIV and AIDS within the next year or two. I am one of only two survivors of the Suramin trials. And the other fellow survived because he got off the drug as soon as he began to see that people were dying from it. Um, it was extraordinarily toxic, and they did not realize that my adrenal glands had failed, and so I was wasting away to nothing. I was sleeping 20, 22 hours a day. I had very little quality of life left. 
Uh, but I kept believing. I kept believing and believing. Well, they finally figured out that my adrenal glands had failed. And they told me I had to get into the ER right away. So I went. And I was all there, all there by myself. I didn't have any friends or family with me. Um, and in the ER, they started to, uh, you know, work me up for uh, what they thought was uh, going on. And, um, and I remember them trying to take my blood uh, in from my arm. And uh, at one point, they, they, uh, they, they tried to take the blood, and the blood wasn't flowing. And they said, pump your hand, Stephen, pump your hand. And I remember looking down on the scene, out of my body, and thinking, why isn't he doing what they're telling him to do? And then I just didn't care anymore, because I was at perfect peace. I had that peace that surpasses all understanding. I was surrounded by love. I understood all the things about myself I'd never understood before. I understood that I was loved deeply and fully. And in that moment, I was fully alive out of my body, surrounded by loving beings and with this great light in front of me. And then I was back in my body and I was pissed. I <laughs> They took me back, uh, back upstairs into a hospital room, and, and I began to recover uh, when they gave me the medications I needed. Um, and so that was two weeks before the Tammy Faye Baker interview. And so that was the context in which I did that interview. And, uh, and I tried to talk about that near-death experience, and I'll never forget how when I talked about it, Tammy asked me, are you afraid to die? Should that happen to you? And uh, I remember saying, uh, no, not after this experience two weeks ago. And your, mo your mother, Tammy Faye, Jay, said, only a Christian could know that. And she looked at me as like, she suddenly realized, oh my God, I'm really talking to a Christian here. And, um, and I was so moved by that moment. I still am. Um, she gave me life by giving me that interview, and she affirmed my life by giving me that interview. Well, that wasn't the end of the story. I, you know, I, I, took, the, I took the sermon for 39 weeks, I, I suffered side effects from it for months afterwards, uh, but I finally began to recover, and by 1987, I was fully recovered. I traveled throughout the world uh, teaching and preaching about AIDS and being fully alive, even in the face of AIDS. And like I said, I took that interview, that Tammy Faye interview with me everywhere, and everybody always loved it. Um, I've since uh, gotten sick, Again, in 2012, I got very, very sick. I had more near-death experiences. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, every time I am just in awe of, of the peace and the love that surrounds us. I had been terrified of dying alone. And yet I realized that first time that I had that near-death experience, I realized that I am not alone. We are not alone. Even when we think we are, God is with us. God is with us. And all these loving beings that have loved us throughout our lives are with us. And I rest confident in that. I, I'm so reassured by that. Um, you know, uh, I was telling a reporter about the, all these near-death experiences I've had and uh, how wonderful they are and how beautiful they are. And she finally stopped me and said, if it's so wonderful there, why do you keep coming back? And without even thinking, I said, because I love life. 
I don't want to miss anything. I find so much joy in my friends and my family and, and in all of the exciting things that happen in this world. So I am so grateful to have survived all I've survived many times. I've been sick with, you name it, I've been sick with it. Uh, my medical resume is as long as the day is long. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, I want to go back for a moment to, uh, to that, uh, uh, the Tammy Faye interview. And, you know, um, Tammy sticking her neck out and affirming my Christianity was an amazing thing for her to do. And she was crucified for it. But she knew that that way grace lies. She knew that that way resurrection lies. She chose love over sin and shame. And that light continued to shine in her, even when she was facing death. I'll never forget seeing her last interviews on TV and uh, talk about jars of clay. I mean, she was getting a big eviction notice from her body. But she still had that light shining through her that we know to be the love of God, the glory of God, as we know God through Jesus Christ. You know, uh, she sent me... Uh, this this PTL Bible, um, uh, this parallel Bible, which she and and uh, Jim Baker, your dad, signed for me. If I can open it to that page, uh, there it is. Their signature. See it? Yeah. And um, and that meant so much to me. And I I have married many people carrying this Bible. Uh, and uh, it is a joy to me to have that. Um, you know, remember what I was talking about, the being fairies uh, and learning to love being a fairy? Well, I learned a lot about being a fairy from the story of Peter Pan, which was always my favorite fairy tale. Uh, and I learned there in, in that fairy tale, in that story, that children's story, that fairies are born every time a baby laughs for the first time. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, we come from a wonderful place. We come from laughter and joy. But the corollary to that is, Peter teaches us, is that when that child grows old enough to say, I don't believe in fairies anymore, there's a fairy somewhere that drops down dead. And of course, in the in the in the play of Peter Pan, the musical, um, as well, they, they, uh, the, there comes a point where Tinkerbell is dying from drinking the poison that Captain Hook left for Peter. And, uh, and Peter, uh, seeing that Tinkerbell is dying, turns to the audience and says, Tink is dying because people don't believe in fairies anymore. If you believe, clap your hands and bring Tinkerbell back to life. And of course, for a century now, audiences everywhere have applauded like crazy for believing in fairies, and fairies came back to life. Well, I started carrying this fairy wand with me everywhere I went, uh, along with the Tammy Faye Baker interview, to talk about the power of believing in fairies. You know, there were a lot of fairies who were dying in the 80s and 90s, and we were called upon, I believe, to believe in ourselves. That was the message that I got, was that we were to believe in ourselves as good fairies, as good as, as, good as we were. We were gay men who were loved by God. We were LGBT people who were loved by God. And so I carried this fairy wand with me everywhere to talk about believing in fairies when fairies were dying all over the place. Well, uh, in 2019, um, I was greatly honored, along with Troy Perry and others in the Metropolitan Community Churches, to be asked to contribute 
things to the Smithsonian's LGBT collection, which became known as the MCC collection, uh, part of the LGBT collection. And so um, I got I got all the things I'd written about, you know, in, in my time as as uh, field director of AIDS ministry for the MCC denomination. I put all of those documents, the newsletters, the pamphlets I'd written, the book I wrote in 1991. Um, and then I saw this fairy wand and I thought one just just like it, actually. And I thought do I want to put this in the box to send to the Smithsonian? Then I thought, well, gee, it could sit on my shelf for me to look at, gathering dust. Or it could be in the Smithsonian. Hello? (laughs) So I put it in the box and sent it off to the Smithsonian. And it turns out that they were delighted to get this. Um, The curator who we dealt with there, Dr. Kathleen Ott, uh, told me that uh, this this fairy wand kind of crystallized the hope and the the faith that it took for us all to live through the AIDS crisis. And now we're in a very different time, a COVID crisis, and we have another pandemic. Uh, like my, fr- I'm fond of of quoting my friends Allison and Bob, who say. This is not our first pandemic. This is not our first plague. And uh, the same things apply today. God is greater than death. God is greater than AIDS. And God is greater than COVID. God is a greater, God's love is a greater reality for us than anything like COVID-19 or AIDS or cancer or any of it. You know, not long after my interview with Tammy Faye Baker, the sermon took an awful toll. I became paralyzed on the left side of my body. I wasted away to practically nothing but a skeleton. Uh, I went blind. And I had no energy, and everyone, once again, thought I was dying. But, you know, when Tammy Faye sent me the Bible... She also sent me uh, audio cassettes of her albums. And one of the songs on one of those albums was Don't Give Up on the Brink of a Miracle. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give in, God is still on the throne. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up. Remember, you're not alone. I sang that along with Tammy Faye as I sat there in my blindness and my wasted uh, self that I, my body was, was, was giving me an eviction notice, but I didn't want to die yet. And Tammy Faye taught me not to give up on the brink of a miracle. And I sang along with that, with her singing that song over and over and over and over again. And you know what? God gave me that miracle. I was blind, but now I can see. Amazing grace, huh? I was paralyzed, but now I got it back. I got it back. I experienced great healing even though I was dying. (sighs) Therefore, I am convinced, to quote another Pauline passage, or to paraphrase it, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing, not even AIDS, not even cancer, not being gay, not being lesbian, not being bi, not being trans, not being straight. There is nothing, not even COVID, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. And now I believe that uh, Caleb is going to call me and uh, offer me 
uh, the questions that you all have been asking. There he is. Hey, Caleb. Steve. Hi. That was so moving and powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, that never, that story will never, never get old and always gets, gets the waterworks going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we have a lot of, a lot of support here. A couple of direct questions, mostly, um, just people expressing their gratitude to you and support. Oh, um, thank you. For, for sharing your story. Um, lots of amens. <laughs> uh, but, but here's, here's a good question, I think, to lead off with. Okay. I believe this person's name is pronounced Darcel. Oh, Darcel, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, great. It's an and, old friend of mine. Um, Darcel wants to know if there were, uh, um, when, when you were dealing with your diagnosis and everything, if there were any particular verses that stood out to you and helped kind of give you strength at that time. Oh my God, so much. So many verses. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, Isaiah 48.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will lift you up with my victorious right hand. Yes. That was one of the one of the verses that really helped me. Um, of course, the whole Easter story, uh, particularly, you know, when um, when Jesus is, uh, in the Gospel of John, when when uh, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb looking for the body and she doesn't see a body, and the gardener speaks uh, is there and she says, "Where have you taken?" And then the gardener turns to her and says, "Mary." And she suddenly recognizes him. And I, I, you know, that was my experience too, that when God named me, I recognized Jesus. I recognized the risen Christ. You know, when God named me gay, when God named me uh, uh, as a person with AIDS and cancer, uh, I recognized the risen Christ in that. So that was another one that, that really gave me a lot of hope. Wow. Powerful. Awesome. So, yeah, it sounds like a lot of the, the verses that are just kind of uh, reassuring and just saying, you know, be still and know, you know, kind of the, that motif. Of, be, still be still and know I'm God. And I'm know God. that I am God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And you know, from the from the Second Corinthians four chapter, we have this treasure yeah, in right. jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. You know, perplexed right. but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And those those uh, that that chapter, that whole chapter, gave me hope and gave me life. Yeah, yeah. It gave me reassurance. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, here's, here's a nice encouraging comment from our friend Zoe. And, and I, I will say before I read this comment that uh, Zoe and Ray and, and myself also, I can express this, um, have, have are some people who are just making some comments just realizing, like, how how different the times are. Just kind of getting yeah. getting that perspective from you and kind of realizing the, the path that, that you've were such a big part in blazing, you know, like yeah. that uh, a lot of times we need to kind of realize how how much work has been done in the interest of, you know, of, of, of queer rights and, and uh, yeah. just socially the acceptance. Yeah. Um, so a big thank you from a lot of us. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Zoe commented, Steve, this is the best sermon I've heard in a long time. Oh. I needed this. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, it comes from God, not from me. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, you're. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't. You're not hurting the <laughs> process. So. Uh, yeah. Joanna has a question. She asked, "How difficult was it for you to get over, in quotes, get over the shame that you'd experienced early on?" Well, it was a, it was a it was a long process, uh, and it sounds uh, to me like you didn't have the shame initially, and then you oh, learned no. the shame. Oh, I learned the shame definitely. Oh, when I did and the boys, boys, out. boys thing, I was joyful about you know. Oh boy, I love my boys. I love my wrestling team. You know, uh, <laughs> my dad's wrestling great. team. Woo hoo! Uh, but 
you know, I learned to be ashamed <laughs> over the years, over the years of my childhood, particularly. Right. And when I was called a fairy, I, that kind of compounded my shame. I also think, that as like with a lot of gay men, um, I, my father knew that I was different, you know, and I think he felt somewhat ashamed of the fact that I was not like other boys. And I don't know that he knew that I was gay, but he knew that I was effeminate and overly sensitive. And, uh, you know, uh, I loved musicals and, and, you know, as stereotypical as that may be of gay men, um, you know, there, the, he didn't know a lot of other boys who were into musicals the way I was. Uh, and so there was a certain amount of shame that came from that. I learned a certain amount of shame from my grandmother, uh, who um, I told about. I I don't know if uh, any of you remember the Mickey Mouse Club show, the first Mickey Mouse Club show with with uh, oh, Annette yeah. and Cubby and, and Karen and all, all those. Well, I had a crush on Cubby, and I remember writing a story about him. Um, and my grandmother, I don't I don't remember what was in the story. But my grandmother offered to type it up for me. And this was when I was like six, you know. Um, and my grandmother offered to type it up for me. And she started to type it. And then she stopped. And she said, you know, just tisk, tisk, tisk. And got up and walked away. And I knew that there was something wrong in the way I'd talked about Cubby, you know. So that's part of how I learned to be ashamed. But, right. you know, it took, it took, you know, it wasn't like I stepped out of the closet and boom, the shame was gone. Um, you know, that's an ongoing, uh, an ongoing struggle, I think, for a lot of us LGBT people yeah. that, uh, that we still, carry a certain amount of shame, internalized shame, internalized right. homophobia uh, with us. And, mm -hmm. and I have worked very hard at letting go of shame and mm -hmm. being proud of being gay. And there's a lot that I have. Uh, I am so proud of my, uh, my LGBT sisters and brothers and, and, uh, the way that we have responded to AIDS and to, to uh, you know, all of the persecution that we've experienced. You know, I back when back when I was first so sick with AIDS, every, everybody was scared to death because we didn't know how it was transmitted. We didn't even know that it was a virus. Um, and and so we didn't know whether it could, as, as Jay was saying at the beginning, we didn't know whether it could be transmitted over the over the through the air or through spit or whatever right. and and i remember trying to find a deacon who would bring me communion when i was housebound with all those diseases i went through in 82 and 83 and it took me months to find a deacon who was willing to come to my house really and finally wow. when one did come she was a wonderful lesbian friend of mine who uh became a friend of mine and uh but she came to my house, and I could tell she was really scared. And, yeah. you know, with good reason. There was no, you know, who knew? No unknown. Uh, it was all unknown. But she came. Yeah. She, she was too scared to give me communion herself. But I served myself. She consecrated, and I served myself. And, um, you know, I... That was, that was the kind of fear that existed back then. And that was wow. the kind of faith that a lot of women showed in reaching out to people with AIDS back before anybody else did. Uh, the, the people who took care of me in my first times of illness were lesbians and were women. Uh, the women of De Colores MCC, which was the women's MCC here in L.A. Uh, and... Uh, so, you know, that, I don't know what I would have done without them. Wow. Well, anyway, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's, that's awesome. I just wonder, once you felt called to ministry, 
as an out gay man, you know, there probably wouldn't really have been many outlets for you. If you're like, well, I'm called to ministry, well then, you know, if you had to, to blaze the whole trail of convincing a church to hire you, I guess it really just takes baby steps, you know, with these cultural shifts. So I'm sure you were blessed to have a denomination that was willing to back you, even though there was obviously the minority and that you had all these allies, you know, the women that you're referring to and stuff like that. It takes a community to pull off a cultural shift like that, that's for sure. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, to give credit where credit is due, it was MCC pastors who were there for people with AIDS uh, before anybody else in the religious community, or most anybody else. I mean, I'm sure there were others, but, but it was primarily MCC pastors who, who were there in the hospitals helping people face their death and, and, uh, and grab hold of their life uh, if they were meant to. Uh, live, you know, and be healed. Gotcha. Um, but some people were healed, healed into death. And, you know, that's another whole topic that we can talk about at length. But, the, you know, I worked as a chaplain at the AIDS hospice here in L.A. And uh, I saw so many people die. Uh, and a lot of them healed into their death. They, they did the work of healing. Whether or not they lived or died, they didn't know whether they would live or die. But they did the work of healing. And their death, their deaths were a lot more peaceful and easy than a lot of people who fought and raged against the, the, constant, the thought of dying, you know, and didn't do the work of healing. Wow. Here's another question. Another okay. question for you. These are all. This is just so. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this. Um, Ray asked, on a practical level, how has Steve adapted to the up and down roller coaster of life like this? Mm-hmm. How does Steve rebalance? Just practically. How do I rebalance my life? Yeah. How do you find your center? How do you? How do you? Oh, that's um, easy. I find it in God. I find it in meditation and prayer. Um, and, and, you know, every day I, I ask God for help in the morning and I thank God for the help I received at night. And every day I take 10 or 15 minutes, sometimes more to just be quiet and listen. And I close my eyes and I, I pay attention to my breathing and, uh, and that's all that I do, and I find that peace that I felt in my near-death experiences, I find that peace again. Uh, and so that's how I find my balance. Um, it's, in, it's in my knowledge of God's love for me in Jesus Christ. It's in that sure knowledge. Yeah, you're so assured. It's, it's very encouraging. Um, yeah. Well, that near death experience is, is never far from your thoughts. That's really that's a very pivotal moment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Each and every time. Uh they were pivotal yeah. moments. And you know, I am I am um I'm so glad that I had those experiences and uh and I pass along the the knowledge of those of that peace and that love and that light uh, because I think there's a lot of fear in the world, you know, particularly nowadays, there's a lot of fear. I know I, I, I get scared, but I remember what Jesus said, fear not, only believe. Don't be afraid, just have faith. And I, you know, in my, I did a sermon on fear because there was so much fear around AIDS. Uh, everywhere I went, I would do a variety of sermons, but I usually did a sermon on fear. And, and one of the things I discovered in studying the Bible around the issue of fear is that 365 times the Bible says, do not be afraid. That's once for every day of the year. Wow. 365 <laughs> yeah. times one way or another the bible says fear not 
Only believe. Don't be afraid. Wow. I am with you. Mm. Beautiful. Well, let's move towards wrapping up with uh, okay. one last question here. Sure. Which is coming from Scott. And Scott asks, what words of encouragement would you offer to young gay people who are growing up in homes and religious communities who are yet shaming and judging the LGBT community harshly? Yeah. Well, uh, that's a good, good question. And um, to, to move themselves pardon? to a, a different community, if possible. Oh no, I, ca- I can't offer that kind of advice. I, 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 I don't give advice to kids who are. I mean, there are so many different circumstances, you know. But the the what advice I would give them is to believe in yourself and believe that God loves you just the way you are. I, one of the hymns that they sang at, at that first MCC that I went to in Chicago was Just As I Am. Just as I am, without one plea. You know, God's love is for me and for you and for that kid. And hang in there and come out when it's right. Uh, come out when you are led to do that. Um, and... Um, you know, just just meanwhile, believe that it gets better. You know, one of the things I write about in my book, uh, my memoir that I'm, you know, in the process of, of writing, um, is is that, uh, you know, where was I? I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. You're just saying, uh, come just as you are. Oh, just as I am, without one plea, yeah. Um when uh, when when i i write about this in my book because one of the things that i love most about the at work that the gay men's chorus of los angeles does is uh our amp program a live music project uh where we go into high schools and even middle schools and do a mini concert of, of several songs and and several of us tell our stories uh in the midst of the, the singing uh and or between the songs, and the kids, you know, really need to hear that message that it does indeed get better. I mean, things are a lot better now for gay people than they were when I was growing up. We didn't have any Ellen DeGeneres. We didn't have any Will and Grace or, or you know, RuPaul or any of that. I mean... There were no accepting and affirming churches were so much. You know, there were no there were none um, yeah. when I was growing up. So um, it is so much better now, and and so just believe if you are stuck in a home with people who 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 judge you for being gay, um, just believe that one day you will be able to come out of that. You will come out of shame. You will come out of fear. And you will live in grace. And you will live free. And it will be better for you. Mm. Because God loves you. Just as you are. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful words. Well, Steve, on behalf of Jay and myself and the whole congregation and everybody on Facebook and everything, thank you so much for sharing. And <laughs> you probably get some follow-up questions and stuff like that from uh, from people as they continue to listen to yeah, this. Yeah. Maybe we can get you into the Revolution community page that we have here on Facebook and people can continue to ask you questions because I'm sure that there's so many layers to every part of your story sure. and we're only kind of touching uh, the surface, I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah thank uh, you again. Thank you for this opportunity. It, it really touched and honored me that Jay asked. Uh, so thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Beautiful. And the, uh, it's great how the story kind of continues from Tammy Faye on to Jay. Everyone is very, very grateful that God has chosen to keep on keeping you around. Amen. <laughs> Despite Amen. All so many challenges, but your voice yeah. is so important and so powerful and so strong. Uh, thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Thank you, Caleb. And thanks, Jay. And thanks, Revolution Church community. Thanks. Okie dokie. Thank you again. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. 
You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Thank you.